Welcome to the final episode of our first semester of Just Admit It. I'm Nat, a former senior assistant director of admissions at NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi. And joining me today is my Ivy Wise friend and colleague, Eric, who is a former admissions officer at Columbia University. Both of us went through the college admissions process as recruited athletes. And today we're going to talk to you about the college athletic recruitment process. So let's start. I'm so happy to, to have this conversation. There's so much that we can cover, but I know that we have such a broad listening audience and we're so thankful for that, that I definitely want to just, I guess, clear the clear the landscape out and what, what do we mean by college recruitment process? Eric, can you talk more about that and what does that mean? Does it mean that if I'm, if I play a sport, can that help me get into college? Can, can you be more specific about what, what we're talking about today? Yes. Um, if you play a sport and you are good at it, then potentially it could impact how you um, and where you apply to colleges. So essentially, a lot of times students feel that if they play a sport, that it's going to really significantly augment their chances at getting into more highly selective colleges. Whereas I think that there's an overblown or disproportionate idea of how many students are actually going through the recruitment process and how much that's actually impacting their college decision. So to take a step back, I think it's important for students to understand what they're getting themselves into if they choose to participate in athletics at the collegiate level. So really, when I challenge my students on this conversation early on, it's about how central they want their college experience to be uh, or how central they want their athletic experience to be um, in college. So do you even want to play in college is important to assess. And also, do you want your college experience to be dominated by athletics since you may be practicing once or twice a day every day if you're a division one athlete and traveling nearly all of the time and having very little time to commit to other social activities so i guess the big question for my students number one is do you want to play a sport in college or not that's right. Yeah. And we'll talk more and maybe we'll jump right into it is um, one of the biggest misconceptions about collegiate sports is the level that you need to be. And so one of the things you said, like, if you're good at it, maybe it can impact your college admissions process. But how do you know if you're good and, and what quantifies good? And we'll, we'll kind of delve more into that in a little bit. But there are you know, we're, we're thinking, generally speaking, about three divisions. And, and there are technically more than three divisions because you have like the junior college level uh, and, and, and other areas that you can play. But we're talking about division one, division two and division three. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that division three, because you can't you can't you cannot get an athletic scholarship to division three the general misconception is that it must be the lowest level. And generally speaking, it is the lowest level in terms of the, the amount of skill, but there is a big jump between high school athletics and then division three. So I think a lot of my former students and I worked at a, at a high school that was very athletically inclined and we would send a lot of students on to, to division one through division three athletics the biggest misconception was that, oh, I, I play here. That means I'm, I'm automatically going to play, you know, division one at the next level um, where a lot of the students, you know, they, they might not have even made a division three 
you know, team. And so there is a big, big jump from high school athletics to division three. And then, you know, you can talk about your experience, but I, I did choose a division three experience. Uh, and we played division one teams, um, every single year. And we would routinely route division one teams. We would beat division one teams. And so there's this misconception that, you know, D one must be better. Uh, and division one has such a wide range of skill level. Uh, and, and as does division three. So, um, can you talk a little bit about your experience, um, as as an athlete, and then we can kind of go into, you know, what to think about and when to think about it, uh, after that, Eric. Sure. That's a great point. So as a division one athlete, I would just have to say, first off, that we are much more talented than our division three counterparts. <laughs> sure. Right. I'm totally joking. We were routinely beaten by uh, both folks in our division and in <laughs> Division three. Um, but what I found to be the difference was for a D1 athlete, you know, there was an expectation that we were going to be um, and we're speaking really generally, right? So my experience was I was a rower in college and my team uh, required that we practice, you know, usually twice a day. Every day we would have a gym workout and then an on the water workout and then also ex- be expected to maintain a certain GPA and maintain uh, control over our academic experience as well. So it really very much um, informed the flavor of my college experience. I would say that rowing was very dominant and central to my college experience, which was something that I chose deliberately. And I actually really enjoyed it. It kept me on good behavior because we couldn't go out drinking every night because I had to pull my weight in the boat. And um, for my experience, it was very data driven. So whereas students in other sports um, might be Uh, assessed in a more qualitative way. Rowing is very quantitative. So they looked strictly at our splits for uh, 2K, you know, a 2000 meter row, they would look at our 500 meter splits and that's how determinations were made for admission. Whereas if you're in a sport like soccer, then they're going to be looking at very different things when you're getting scouted. Um, In addition, the side of the boat that I rode, that didn't matter as much, right? So like we had an even number of ports and starboards, whereas again, in other uh, sports, it might be more meaningful Mm -hmm. if you are like a fullback or a halfback or a striker uh, to use soccer as an example again. So anyway, that was my experience. I loved it. Rowing is the best. Everyone should do it. I wish I were three inches taller, but I did my best. Uh, I love that some of the points that you brought up because rowing, you know, you did have a 2K erg time and I've, I've worked with some, you know, elite rowers and, you know, right down the street from where I live is one of the, um, you know, is, is a very infamous rowing club that sends a number of kids to the Olympics each year um, or each Olympics. Now, you know, the Olympics happen every four years, but I will say that rowing is one of those, you know, as you mentioned, like there is a, there is data and you can, you can know, you know, if you are good or not. Um, There is a clearinghouse in tennis and also in squash. So like these are two other sports where you have a very, very good sense of, you know, whether or not you're going to be recruited, right? In tennis, it's, you know, uh, tennisrecruiting.net. Um, and there's like a, you know, a, a star system. And then if you're really, really good, you, you become a blue chip athlete and you can see kind of the recruit class of, of the schools that you're looking at and how they compare to you. And so you're, you're absolutely right that not, a, you know, there's the majority of sports don't have this objectivity 
in trying to figure out, you know, uh, how good am I? Am I good enough to play? And, and, you know, I'm sure that you've worked with with athletes that have an inflated sense of their ability um, and they're waiting for that D1 school to kind of call up and um, and uh, and it might not ever happen. And so can you talk to me about, you know, your point of, of, of having like two lists, you know, like two concurrent lists if you're if you're hoping to play and then we can we can kind of talk about other things from there as well. Yeah, and I know that Nat and I are not trying to be discouraging at all in any way. Um, it's just like any other talent where we might look at an athlete in the same way that we look at a student who has an arts talent. And so if you're pursuing you know, a classical music experience, then you're going to have an audition process. Similarly, if you're going through the athletic recruitment process, you're also essentially having an audition, right? And you may choose a school strictly because of the team that you'd be joining. And uh, Nat mentioned the strategy of two concurrent lists, which is something that I employ as a counselor, where if I'm working with a student athlete, we would select a handful of colleges to which that student would apply because playing on a team would really enhance the experience for that student and it also may allow them access to a more selective school that they ordinarily wouldn't be competitive for the second list that i would run is a list of schools to which the student is strictly academically competitive and where their sport would not be a formal factor in the admissions process with that said i want every school on that list to be a college that that student would realistically go to because I always say like, okay, I'm not going to shoehorn you into a college just because you happen to be a stellar athlete. But what if you get injured? I still want you to want to stay at that school and have a meaningful experience and not come home uh, or be really upset uh, because the college is a bad fit overall. So um, so I want students to be at a college that they would want to go to independent of athletics. And so the reason that I employ the strategy of having the two concurrent lists is one would be strictly uh, or more closely tied to a student's athletic uh, experience there. But I want every college on both of those lists to be schools that the student would want to go to. In the case that they get injured, for example, I would want the students to still want to stay at that particular college, even if they were no longer able to play the sport. That's such a great point. And we often hear of like the broken leg scenario, right? Like, would you be happy at this college if you were to break your leg and not be able to play? Right. And that's oftentimes um, what the admissions officers like, right? Anecdotally, they're also thinking like, is this a student that we'd want in our community if they weren't able to, you know, uh, compete or, you know, give back to um, athletically as well? Um, you know, I, I love this idea of two concurrent lists because, um, you know, part of my experience uh, in college, um, my minor was in coaching. So I was attached to a team on campus um, and that team was uh, and it was part of my like practicum for my minor in coaching. Um, that team was the women's tennis team. And I was uh, I was a tennis player for the for the men's team. And then I was the assistant coach for the women's tennis team. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be part of a program that was um, probably, uh, arguably, one of the best in the history of Division Three sports, especially for tennis. So the team that I happened to be attached to won the national title the year that I happened to be a part of that team. Uh, my wife was a part of that team. She wasn't my wife back then, but she went on to coach this national championship winning team. 
And I know from experience, the number of emails that she sent out when she was starting to recruit, right? And it was, it was literally upwards of a thousand emails to try to look for four girls that she was able to support through the admissions experience. Eric, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the different calendars and, and when kids should be thinking about the recruitment process? I know over the years it has changed dramatically, like the NCAA has put in some sanctions, or I shouldn't say sanctions, but they've changed the rules depending on the sports. I mean, you 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 still have eighth graders that are, you know, committing and we'll talk about some of the terminology, but then you have some sports that they've changed it where a coach cannot get a recruit until a certain time period. But do you want to talk very generally about the different timetables depending on the sports, of course? Sure. This is so it's so hard because, you know, we're trying to speak to such a wide range of um, sports and also a wide range of talents and abilities. And we almost want to look at the college admission process in the same way that we do for all students, which the answer is oftentimes it depends, right? (laughs) Am I competitive at this school? It depends. Um, So to give you a broad sense, I think college athletic recruitment front loads and is going to in, is going to force the student to enter the process earlier than their counterparts who are not considering athletics as a part of their college experience. So what that means is, um, as your wife mentioned and you alluded to, it's important that students be very proactive about reaching out to coaches and to colleges that they think they may wish to apply to as a prospective athlete. On the reverse, um, when you're getting interest from colleges, it's important to sift through that information and find out if these are schools that you're genuinely interested in and what the composition of that team looks like and where you would ultimately be competitive. But for things like testing, for example, that's a big Mm -hmm. piece of the um, admissions process independent of whether or not you're an athlete. And for some students, when they are considered um, for athletic recruitment, it's going to extremely accelerate the testing timeline. So you're going to be expected to take the SAT or the ACT much earlier than your non-athlete counterparts because that will be a score that you'll be wanting to submit to your coaches when they are looking for the scholar athlete, which is something I was thinking of not beforehand. There are colleges that I think are looking more for the scholar athlete, and then there are schools that I think are looking for strict athletes. Sure. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah, for sure. And you have different, right? Like you, you go from, you know, I think it, it comes down to how competitive they want to be, right? Because uh, what what was usually what was historically known as the clearinghouse, like it doesn't take much you know, to make the clearinghouse, which is means like that's the bare minimum that you need to achieve in order to qualify to be a collegiate division one or division two athlete. It's it's a very low bar um, relative to kind of the SAT averages and, and the GPA averages. But you're bringing up a really good point like this, this uh, accelerated testing line, like especially for the Ivy League, um, you know, we, we, you know, often I talk a lot about with my students about the um, the academic index and and how you know you have there's a formula and, and we're not necessarily going to go into the formula today but it's it's a really fun formula it's very easy um, but it, substituted in that formula for your test scores can be two um, 
subject test, right? And so oftentimes like coaches in the Ivy League will have you take, oh, like take subject tests. So you could, you know, because they're trying to get you to have as high of an academic index score as possible. And so what you were alluding to is it's absolutely correct. Like sometimes because a school that might be in an athletic conference that has a balance of academics and uh, and athletic uh, ability, you know, a school in the Ivy League will you know, the way that recruiting works is the better the student you are, you know, the the more likelihood that you will be a part of the recruiting class. It doesn't mean that they won't take students that aren't phenomenal, you know, uh, academic students, but they will, it does, it absolutely raises your chance of being in the recruiting class because of how, you know, be, because the, the class has to have a certain average. And we're not going to go too much into that because there's just so much to cover, but that's essentially what you were saying. Is that correct, Eric? Absolutely. And yeah, I was reminded of in the wake of the admission scandal, which centered around athletic recruitment, Mm -hmm. the level of scrutiny that is now going to increase on the athletic recruitment process, which I think already existed to a high degree, is something that I think moving forward, people need to realize. But so it's, it's sort of like, why did families use that channel in order to try to shoehorn their students into particular colleges? Mm-hmm. And the reality is that there is this um, augmented opportunity for students in the way that uh, students who have legacy status who, or who are development interests or who come from underrepresented populations, right. there are distinct advantages to being an athlete. With that said, I always like to offer in the same breath that I think that students have a distorted view of how much their athletic talent might be able to tip the scale in their favor unless they are really performing on a high level nationally or internationally already. So I think that we could probably pivot a bit to talk about the more selective institutions, since I know that that's where a lot of the conversation around athletics happens. So can you talk me through, we mentioned the Ivy League, but also Mm -hmm. for the more selective colleges, how much is athletics going to play into their decision making? Yeah, so this is a, it's a great pivot because it it, it really builds upon what you were just saying. Um, Athletes in general, like recruited athletes, um, it's an institutional priority for colleges for a number of reasons, right? Uh, For a number of reasons. One of them is, you know, like a strong athletic program brings in more money from alums, right? Uh, A strong athletic program at the division one level makes money for the institution, makes a tremendous amount of money for the institution. But those aren't just the only reasons. Those might be primary reasons or some of the more important reasons. But there's other there are other reasons that that we know why athletics is is kind of a protected it's a it's an institutional priority. But um, you know at the Division three level all the way through the Division one level, you have this sense where coaches are able to you know this is a, a little bit of a misnomer, but they have students that they're able to slot or protect. Um, you know that they that they are you know kind of. Um, they're basically messaging to admissions like this is a student that I want. Right. And they ultimately, they being the coaches don't make the decisions, but they often have a lot of power in that decision-making process. Right. So ultimately the admissions office is making the decision on who is going to be admitted. Um, But the coaches have a tremendous amount of say in who they're going to protect and who they're going to slot or bands. you know, the, the, um, 
the terminology kind of it, it, it's all um, it, it's all like school and and athletic conference specific. But the the idea is that a coach does have a little bit of a say, and that's what we're talking about is that the athletic recruitment as one of the you know protected categories of the institutional priorities of of an institution. Yes, and always be skeptical of the coaches as well. <laughs> um, I always say, you know, I don't believe anything until the ink is dry, so to speak. Right. So until you get an offer of admission from the admissions office, you are not in. And it's so true. And I'm so glad you brought that up because, um, you know, semantics really matter. And sometimes, you know, coaches and there, there are like a couple of different types of coaches and, and I would say like two major types and one is like the really good recruiter right and then the other type would be like the coach that is very good at developing players or developing who who they're able to get um, and you know rarely are they also like you know both qualities in a coach and when that happens then you have like a really a recipe for a, a really you know, successful program, but I've seen more often than not, um, you know, coaches are one or the other, unfortunately. And these good recruiters, sometimes they have, they're human and they have a hard time letting someone down. And so uh, oftentimes every year I have students that feel like they're being recruited by the coach, but they're not really being, you know, formally supported in the admissions process. Right. And so um, that is a conversation that I hope that, you know, students can have with uh, with an advisor that can help them through this. Now, one of the things that happens is, um, you know, there are some things that that students should be doing uh, and then something something that maybe students should not be doing. And on this list of should not necessarily be doing is that I don't think there is a necessity for these like cash cow recruiting, you know, uh, companies that like help you make a video and, and like get your name out. And that in so many sports, I see this and I just don't think it's as useful. I think that, uh, all, everything that is being done in that, and, and I, I'm, I'm not here to say like how you want to spend your money, but you know, everything that is, that those services offer, those are things that you can do as a student. And that's an important part of, of, you know, of learning through this process. So um, are there things that you should be doing, Eric, that, you know, if that's, if that's one thing that you don't necessarily need to do, like, you know, sign up for one of these like recruiting services. um, Is there one thing that you should be doing? I think the burden falls to the students and families to understand what matters and how they need to showcase their talent and communicate that to the admissions office. So I do know that it's important for students who play a club sport to go to these showcases where they know that coaches are going to be and so that they can be seen. And in the absence of that, I do think that making a reel can be meaningful, but it isn't about the quality, you know, no one's caring about the resolution and the quality of the video. And if it has, you know, really like exciting eye of the tiger music in the background, they just want to see how you play. Right. Yeah. Yeah. um, and it should also, t- you know, the, what I like is that students, um, I always compare students in certain ways, like students who are athletes can showcase certain parts of their personality in the same way that students that are artists do too. Like I had a student who was a soccer recruit and he wasn't that tall and he was not that fast, but he would be the one that when 
there was a mass of young men in a group, he would always emerge with the ball. Mm. And I was like, I love that about him. And that's totally who he is. Like he was really scrappy. And so I think that, you know, you have to think of yourself not as a robot in the way that I also challenge all of my students to try to think of themselves as individuals and not as robots. So, you know, getting yourself out there is I think important, but concentrating your energy is also important. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm speaking in such vagaries because it's so difficult. And like with everything in college admissions, there's so much misinformation out there that it's hard to know what to latch on to. You're opening up a really, um, a can of worms that I want to go into, which is uh, like getting seen by coaches. And I've been lucky enough to be around, you know, some elite coaches, you know, including Olympic, Olympic coaches and certainly division, you know, division championship and, and national championship winning coaches. And one of the things that I have learned is, you know, and oftentimes we talk about the hard factors and the soft factors. Um, a lot of times when a coach is coming to watch you play in person, they already know that, that athletically you are someone they want. Um, but one of my, one of my friends who's, you know, a, an elite basketball coach, you know, has, has told me like, Hey, when I go and watch a student come in, you know, when I go to their game, whether it's a high school or AAU game, I'm actually watching how they react on the sidelines to being coached how they react to their mom after, you know, after the game is over. Like these are like the, the soft factors because like, I know this student is an amazing basketball player, but I want to know, you know, it, are they going to fit in, in kind of my coaching style? So the soft factors, like how you are interacting with your teammates, how, like if you're, if your team is down, like I've been in, in situations where, you know, uh, some of the players that, that a coach is watching, they're, they're down so much because there's so much pressure. They know a coach is there and how they react is like really hurting their chances of being recruited. And because it's not about, they already know, like you're a good player. They want to know, like, can you do the, you know, can you do the soft things, right? Can you do the things that, that, um, that are hidden? And that's, that's part of the difficulty in this year with the COVID pandemic is that there's just been far and, and, you know, fewer and no opportunities for coaches to see athletes, um, in person. And right. And they're, they're having to, to rely on like videos and YouTube videos and, and things of this nature. So the showcases are, have been almost non-existent for most of the sports. So th this is really, really a difficult thing. Um, in terms of, you know, one of the things that you talked about is like doing the things that you should be doing. I, I mean, what do you feel like in terms of the questionnaires? I mean, I know coaches have a, um, have very differing opinions of whether or not they, they use the questionnaires, but I've, I've always told my kids like, Hey, you know, the first thing you do is like, you know, fill out the questionnaire and then follow up with an email. Is that, is that what you, you tell your students as well, Eric? Yep. I agree. I think it's a, you know, pretty, it's not a huge time intensive piece right. and it's almost like a job interview, right? Mm -hmm. You're filling out an application and then you're kind of getting to that next step. So I, that's the same advice that I give to my students. Right. And then some of the other steps and then some of the terminology as we get closer to the, you know, our time together to the end of our time together, um, you know, and, and please feel free to jump in and talk about this. But we, we talked about, you know, the eligibility center, which, you know, formerly was called the clearinghouse. Um, one of the things that you want to do uh, eventually, um, you know, probably depending on the sport and, and, and who's recruiting you, but you will have to fill out 
the clear you'll have to fill out um, basically the clearinghouse um, forms and then your school will have to do that as well that's not difficult at all but it's just something that you can do um, and that's for division one and division two um, and then like some of the other other terms that you might hear like the the official visit or I'm, I'm going to commit do you want to talk about like uh, uh, committing to a school because even though that's like a you, you alluded to this before, like that's a, that's semantics, right? And, and so a student might say like, oh, I'm committing to this school, but that really doesn't happen until like you've said, like until like the ink is dry and like you receive an actual physical offer, right? But do you have any experience with students thinking that they commit and then it's, it's not done? Yeah, that's all I'll say. Yes, I've had that experience and students have been very confident that they're attending a particular college. And then it turns out that admissions does not corroborate that in- that information right. with the clothing staff. Yeah. That has made for a problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the trends that I've seen, you know, in coaching over, I would say over the last eight to 10 years is that um, division three coaches, like especially like the schools in the NESCAC and the Liberty League, that these are like really high performing division three schools. They are trying to emulate the division one coaching process as much as possible. So this term like official visit, right? Like the NCAA, the school is allowed in the division one level, they're allowed to pay for a student to come and do a quote unquote official visit. And they have uh, generally speaking 48 hours or, or a weekend to spend at a school, um, division three schools, they don't have the money to spend to do that, but they will still call this an official visit. We'd love to have you on campus for an official visit. And, and so they're trying to emulate this. And so oftentimes when a division three student is saying like, Oh, I'm, I'm committing to so-and-so school. Um, that's, that's really like, that's a misnomer because until you receive a letter of, of admissions from the, the uh, admissions office, like you, you haven't really committed to the school. Maybe you've committed to the school, but the school has not committed to you until you, you know, you receive your letter of, of admission from the admissions office. That's right. And as you know, from athletics generally and how it's glorified in the media, they will roll out the red carpet for you. You know, you'll get private tours of campus. You'll get access to facilities that ordinarily wouldn't be shown to just the average prospective student. But it's important to remember the dating analogy, which I also frequently use. Um, Maybe they're just not that into you. At the end of the day. <laughs> so you have to be prepared for the fact that while you may be really in love with a school, ultimately, um, I've seen it come down to a couple of different things. One is perhaps there's a misalignment in the academic expectation for these schools, right? So you might be extremely talented, but the academic part of your application, which could be considerably lower than that college is looking for, would preclude them from admitting you from an admission standpoint. And the other thing that I did want to mention is that there are a lot of factors that are beyond your control, just like for students who are applying without uh, excuse me, without athletic talent. There's so many things that unfortunately you can't predict that you really have to hedge your bets on, right? So I remember thinking about the fact that, you know, 
there might be no seniors graduating on the volleyball team one year. And therefore the coaches are so restricted in who they can bring into that roster. And in other years, they might have a ton of seniors who are graduating. And so it's important. You can actually find out that information and also things that are um, sports specific and position specific. I also think are just, again, things that unfortunately are not under your control. Like, as a rower, you know, maybe one year they do need more coxswains or more ports or more starbirds, but those are things that regrettably you can't really predict. Right. And you just kind of have to hope for and figure out school to school, you know, what some of those other variables are. Uh, such good points. And I, I mean, you and I both, we, we want to relive kind of our glory days and we could, we could probably do like 17 of these podcasts just talking about athletic recruiting. Um, and so I'm, Whatever, I'm good. I don't want to get up at five and be on ice cold water. I'm good on that. <laughs> I love how you said that you wish you were a little bit taller when you're uh, at least a full foot taller than I am. I'll, obviously, we play you know, different sports, but I know that we're running out of time and I'm, I really enjoyed our conversation. And it's really meant to just be like an introduction to athletic recruiting. Please visit our our website for more resources but thank you so much for tuning in we hope that you enjoyed our first semester of our podcast but please you know check out our just admit it page online to catch up with all the previous episodes you know eric and i have done some podcasts together and we always have a good time together um additionally you know this is really important be sure to bookmark our ivy wise knowledge base for all of the latest higher ed news and advice right we wish all the students and families around the world a very happy and safe holiday season. All right, stay tuned. Thank you so much.